Hi, my name is Rifki, and welcome to This Week Unpacked. Wait, Rifki? Who the heck are you? And that's a fair question. You might have heard my name. Let's be real, you probably haven't. But you definitely don't know my voice, because normally my job is behind the scenes. I'm the senior podcast producer here at Unpacked, where we make shows like this one. And let me tell you just very quickly, I'll get in trouble if I don't, I have to tell you about the other shows we make. We make one show called Nice Jewish Girls, in which the host, Julia Jassy, interviews some of the coolest and most interesting women in the Jewish world today. And personal favorite, we make this amazing show called Unpacking Israeli History. It's actually one of the top-ranked Jewish podcasts, whatever, no big deal, where the host, Noam Weissman, does a weekly deep dive into different events in Israeli history. I'm just saying, they're entertaining, they're thought-provoking, and people really do love them. And again, I'm sure I'd say the same thing even if I weren't the producer. Subscribe to both of them wherever you get this podcast. Okay, I know you're thinking to yourself, if you're the producer, then why do we hear your voice, Rifki? And you know what? That's an astute question. Thank you for asking. This is actually my first time in front of the mic for Unpacked. And I guess maybe the simplest way to say it is that probably like you, I know I'm making a jump, but maybe, I'm pretty passionate about contemporary issues in Israel and the Jewish world. So I'm actually really excited to sit in this very comfortable host chair here at This Week Unpacked. Okay, if I'm being honest, it's a really an office chair in my bedroom, but we'll keep that between us, right? So on to the show. This week, we're talking about something you've probably heard a little bit about. The recent vote in the U.S. House of Representatives about giving $1 billion worth of funding to Israel for the Iron Dome missile defense system. As we say in Yiddish, weiter. Let's dive in. I live in America, in New York City. I've never once in my life heard the sound of rockets overhead. But I can't say the same for my friends and family living in Israel. It feels like every few years, or depending on where you live, maybe even more often, the conflict with Hamas flares up to the point where Israel's air defense system, called Iron Dome, is deployed. What it does is it it intercepts rockets that are being launched from Gaza, and it destroys them in the air before they can kill civilians living in Israel. Thousands of these rockets have been successfully intercepted in the last few years by the Iron Dome, which is pretty amazing. And you might have heard that two weeks ago, the U.S. House of Representatives overwhelmingly approved a bill to provide $1 billion in funding to replenish Israel's Iron Dome rocket defense system. The money was to be used to replace the missile interceptors that had been used during this most recent war with Gaza in May. Officially called the Iron Dome Supplemental Appropriations Act, it passed the House by a vote of 420 yeses to only nine noes, with two additional present votes, which means that they didn't vote yes or no. But the vote was kind of odd, right? Because initially, the funding was included in a general government spending bill. However, after pressure from a small group of progressive lawmakers, the funding was actually stripped from the larger bill. Senior Democrats, who were pretty upset about that and still very much believed in it, they wanted the Iron Dome funding to happen. So they just decided to run it as its own bill, as a standalone supplemental measure, where it passed by that 420 to 9 to 2 margin. So that's the official story. And it doesn't seem like it should be a big deal, right? That's a crazy proportion. 420 to 9? It passed with flying colors. So why are we even talking about this? Why is this actually a story? Well, I'll tell you why. Because some of these nine no votes were actually some of the most dynamic, young, and energetic possible future leaders of the Democratic Party. And therefore, there almost seems to be this fear that these nine no votes actually represent something bigger. So does it? Was this vote and the choice of these Democratic members of the House to vote against USA to Israel actually a turning point in U.S. support for Israel? To put it differently, will bipartisan support of Israel continue 
or will support for Israel become even more polarized? I want to start by diving into the actual words of the representatives. Let's start with Rashida Talib, one of the nine who voted against the measure. She's actually one of the four members of the so-called squad, and she explained her position on the House floor. She cited Human Rights Watch and B'Tselem, which is an Israeli human rights organization, both of which use that dreaded A-word, as in, they called the Israeli government an apartheid regime. And she said, I will not support an effort to enable and support war crimes, human rights abuses, and violence. We cannot be talking only about Israelis' need for safety at a time when Palestinians are living under a violent apartheid system. Representative Ted Deutsch, on the other hand, was one of the 420 yes votes, and he responded forcefully. I cannot allow one of my colleagues to stand on the floor of the House of Representatives and label the Jewish democratic state of Israel an apartheid state. I reject it. It's consistent with those who advocate for the dismantling of the one Jewish state in the world. And when there is no place on the map for one Jewish state, that's anti-Semitism. Meanwhile, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, seemingly last minute, broke with her fellow squad members, changing her vote from no to present. She was then seen crying on the House floor, and in a public letter to her constituents, she explained why she was so emotional. Quote, I wept at the complete lack of care for the human beings that are impacted by these decisions. I wept at an institution choosing a path of maximum volatility and minimum consideration for its own political convenience, end quote. But honestly, many commenters were still kind of confused about why she voted present and not no. Some speculate that it's possibly a political move because the congresswoman might be eyeing a Senate seat in 2022, in which case being seen as antagonistic towards Israel might actually hurt her political chances. We'll all stay tuned for that. So first, to understand this story, this $1 billion in funding for the Iron Dome, we have to talk about foreign funding in general, money that flows from the U.S. to other foreign actors. And obviously, let's start with Israel, which in 2020 received $3.8 billion from the U.S., more than almost any other country. Why does the U.S. give money to Israel in the first place? And what does it get in return? And by the way, it's not just Israel, right? The U.S. gives about $40 billion, roughly 1% of its budget, to nations around the world. This money is considered to be foreign aid, and it falls actually into three buckets. The first bucket is humanitarian aid, the second is economic aid, and the third is military aid. Israel gets almost exclusively military aid. And to clarify, when I say aid, it's not actually a handout, right? It's not like they're just handing over buckets of cash. Instead, it is what is called foreign military finance grants. It's more like a gift certificate in a way. Israel uses the grants to purchase military equipment from the U.S., Right, for example, Israel recently actually purchased 50 F-35 jets, mostly paid for by these foreign military finance grants. So this money, right, that comes from the U.S. goes right back into the U.S. economy, which translates into jobs in manufacturing, engineering, and other related fields. Okay, so how does Israel compare to other countries when it comes to U.S. foreign aid? Well, in the last few years, Israel's neighbors, Jordan and Egypt, have each received between one and five billion annually from the U.S., Like Israel, each of these countries received some military aid. But unlike Israel, they also get hundreds of millions for economic development and humanitarian assistance. The West Bank and Gaza are receiving 360 million in 2021, which is entirely humanitarian and economic aid, nothing military there. 
The money goes to the Palestinian Authority and to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian refugees. But, and this is important, right? Foreign aid, you know, like money, is just one piece of a complex military relationship between the U.S. and Israel. Yes, Israel does receive this quote-unquote aid money, but they also do a lot for America, right? They look after a stockpile of American weapons and ammunition, which in an emergency they can also use for themselves. And Israel also helps the U.S. with cybersecurity, with anti-terrorist activities, and even more. And again, and and this is a really critical point, aid is a misnomer, right? Like some experts even argue that because the U.S. and Israel share geopolitical interests, security concern, and core values, U.S. aid to Israel is actually equivalent to American military spending, almost as if the U.S. were to have a military base in Israel. So here's an example that I think is a useful framework. Consider South Korea and Japan, two of the countries with the highest number of U.S. military bases. Between 2016 and 2019, it cost American taxpayers more than $3 billion a year to keep forces on the ground in South Korea. And in Japan, it cost more than $5 billion. That's a lot of billions. But for America, it's worth it because our investment in these countries, according to experts, is the price of keeping tabs on potentially volatile countries. For South Korea and Japan, that's North Korea and China. And Israel is kind of the same thing. America invests the money so that they can keep tabs on Syria, Iran, and honestly, the whole of the Middle East. So that's kind of America's justification for paying so much money for foreign aid to Israel. But you know, this is relatively new. Israel has not always received billions in foreign aid from the US. Back in 1973, America earmarked $492 million, or about half a billion dollars, in foreign aid to Israel. The next year, with the U.S. flying more than 22,000 tons of weapons and ammunitions to Israel during the Yom Kippur War, that number almost quintupled to $2.6 billion. And in today's money, that's over $16 billion. Insane. But again, to America, it was worth it. Because think of what happened next, the Cold War. Israel was a serious strategic value to the U.S., especially considering the Soviets' cozy relationship with the Arab countries. So it was important to the U.S. that Israel was equipped with better weapons than its hostile neighbors. And in 1981, the U.S. and Israel formalized their military relationship with a pact called the Strategic Cooperation Agreement, which aimed to deter Soviet threats in the Middle East. And it kept going. In the 1990s, after the Soviet Union collapsed and Iraq invaded Kuwait, the U.S. became an active military force in the Middle East. And again, America required a strong local ally. Hello, Israel. And in 2001, the 9-11 attacks pushed Israel and the U.S. even closer. But underlining this history is one important fact. None of this military policy would have been viable unless the American public approved of supporting Israel. And I'm going to say that again with even more dramatic emphasis. None of this foreign policy would have been viable unless the American public approved of supporting Israel. Over and over, the majority of American people have endorsed the U.S. support of Israel. And now we come to today. If you're at all interested in Israel, and again, my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested in Israel. You've heard that some on the progressive left have recently argued that aid to Israel should at least be conditional. In April 2021, Democratic Representative Betty McCollum introduced a bill that would deny Israel aid money if it were spent on detaining children, seizing Palestinian properties, or annexing land in the West Bank. Ilhan Omar, a different member of the squad, 
who also voted no on the recent bill, was a co-sponsor of the McCollum bill. Now, these caveats for the bill make it kind of tough. Again, the money is mostly given in the form of grants that are to be spent back in the U.S. But although the McCollum bill is unlikely to pass, it highlights recent divisions among Democrats over U.S. policy towards Israel. And the recent Iron Dome bill? It's just the latest example of those tensions, even though, again, it was overwhelmingly supported by both Democratic and Republican lawmakers. Okay, so now we know what happened. But how are people actually reacting to this story? If you've only just seen this on Facebook or something like that, you might think that everyone universally agrees that the sky is falling, the whole world has fallen apart. Or maybe the opposite, right? That this is seriously a non-story. But actually, there's a real range. Let's start with the Israeli foreign minister and future prime minister if the current government holds. Yair Lapid downplayed the incident, saying in a statement that the delay in approving the Israeli funding was actually technical. It was related to disagreements in Congress about the U.S. debt ceiling. Clearly, he doesn't want this to be a story. The current prime minister, Naftali Bennett, also didn't really make a big deal out of it. He told reporters, quote, There is a small anti-Israel group that makes a lot of noise, but these people failed. Ofer Shella, on the other hand, who is a former Knesset member in the Yesh Atid party, disagreed. He argued that this is a huge deal. In an op-ed published in the Israeli paper Yediot Achronot, Shella argued that those who blame the incident on just an isolated group of radical Democrats or on past actions by Netanyahu are actually ignoring the reality. Quote, The Jewish state has boasted for years about how it enjoys bipartisan support from the U.S., but the opposite has been the reality for nearly a decade now. In many democratic circles, Israel has long ago lost the image of a small and brave nation, surrounded on all sides by larger enemies who want to annihilate the only democracy in the Middle East. In their eyes, Israel is the only Western country that holds an entire nation under occupation, and does so while being fueled by nearly $4 billion worth of American taxpayer money." End quote. Michael Oren, former Israeli ambassador to the U.S., also interpreted the situation as a turning point. In a tablet magazine op-ed, Oren wrote that Israel should use this incident as a wake-up call to begin rethinking the nature of American aid. He noted that under the terms of the current U.S. aid agreement, Israel isn't allowed to sell its defense technologies, and they're pretty cool defense technologies, to certain countries such as China. Rather than continuing to appear dependent on the U.S. and bearing, quote, the opportunity costs of many billions of dollars by not selling its equipment to specific countries, Oren argued that it's now time for Israel to break out of its America-dependent relationship. It's time for Israel and America to see their relationship as collaborative, instead of just donor and recipient. Okay, so those are some Israeli perspectives. But what sort of reactions have come from world Jewry? Honestly, it's about what you would expect. Let's start with New York Times columnist Brett Stevens, who had incredibly harsh words about the progressive Democrats who pressured their party's leadership to remove the funding from the original bill. He wrote, quote, There is no conceivable argument that denying funding puts pressure on Israel to show greater military restraint or helps advance the cause of the two-state solution. It's not about giving peace a chance. The only coherent rationale is to give Hamas a better chance to kill Israelis in the next war. Whoa. Stevens called on the Democratic colleagues of the No Voters to, quote, start treating their Israel-hating members not as parliamentary nuisances or social media embarrassments, but as the ill-intended bigots they well and truly are. Brett Stevens, tell us what you really think. In an op-ed for Jewish News Syndicate, or JNS, the British journalist Melanie Phillips wrote that the fact that even though it ended up passing independently, 
Just the fact that the Israeli funding was removed from the bill was a win for the far left, adding that, quote, support for Israel among the Democrats is eroding far beyond the party's far left caucus. This may be a small faction in the House, but it represents a wider constituency that's too large for the party leadership to ignore, end quote. As evidence, Phillips cited a recent poll that found that nearly two-thirds of Jewish college students feel unsafe on their campuses, and half feel the need to hide their Jewish identity and support for Israel. She wrote, quote, The enemies of the Jewish people have hijacked history and language to present Israel falsely as a colonial aggressor. Jewish defenders need to reinstitute the truths of history and language by associating Israel and Western minds with legality, justice, and human rights, end quote. And for a totally different perspective, Aaron Weinberg, who is government relations director at the Israel Policy Forum, said on the Israel Policy Pod that most of the reactions from the Jewish world, like the squad is taking over and the Democratic Party is no longer pro-Israel, are totally overblown. Weinberg argued that, to the contrary, Congress's overwhelming support for the funding, remember, it was 420 to 9, is evidence that, quote, a consensus remains in Congress that Israel has a right to live in freedom, prosperity, and security. And I just want to add one more reaction, because I think it's a fascinating one. Sarah Silverman, the famous American comedian, actually talked about Iron Dome on her podcast. And as someone who affiliates with the political left, she expressed real disappointment and her pain. Let's play a little bit of that clip. So there was a House vote recently on helping um, to fund Israel's Iron Dome. It's just, it's frustrating because my girls, my girls in the squad, um, really didn't want it to be funded. They wanted to defund it. And, you know, all the Iron Dome does is protect civilians from getting hit by missiles and bombs. That's all it does. It's not a weapon. If anything, ask for one. Get one over Gaza. I Get one everywhere. I would personally like no missiles or bombs to land on anyone. But you're wanting to take away from the thing that protects every citizen of Israel. You know, my niece Hillel said it pretty concise. She said, voting against the Iron Dome defense system um, is voting for dead Israelis, and that's Muslims, Christians, and Jews alike. That's true. Israeli civilians are Jews and Arabs and Christians, and they are black and brown and white. Sorry to tell you, it's not just dirty Jews you're letting die. It just feels very, you know... The missiles are aimed at citizens. I don't know what this is. You know, we're not allowed to call it anti-Semitism. And of course, you're allowed to criticize a government. But um, what do you think might happen if they were to take away the Iron Dome? What do you think might happen if you take away the one thing that protects people from missiles in a place where missiles are constantly flying at you? Right. That's dark. So I think this clip is really important because Sarah Silverman, I think, expresses what many of us feel. At the end of the day, it's really just painful to think that members of the U.S. House of Representatives voted against protection of Israeli citizens. So where does this leave us listening? Has American support for Israel, at least among the progressive world, reached a breaking point? We truly don't know, but the answer really does matter. 
The relationship between Israel and the U.S. is a critical one, not only for American Jews, but for the entire Western world. And if I may say, for the entire world. This conversation about Iron Dome funding actually makes me think of two other podcast episodes, both from our sister podcast, Unpacking Israeli History. The first one, called The Great Debate Around German Reparations, is about a different time Israel debated the question of receiving foreign aid. However, it was very, very different. There, the question was about reparations from Germany, which is fundamentally different than military aid from the U.S. But still, I think the connection is that this idea of foreign money flowing into Israel does not exist in a vacuum. The other episode that I'm reminded of is called Does Israel Represent All Jews? which has more obvious resonances. It tells the story about tension between Israeli and diaspora Jewry, tension that has existed since the founding of the state. What seems clear, at least to me, is that to understand this Iron Dome funding bill, we have to use history to inform the way we think about the present. All right, all right, I'll get off my soapbox. Check out those episodes and let us know what you think. Maybe I'm totally crazy. Thanks for listening. This episode was hosted by me, Rifki Stern. This Week on Pact is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Make sure you don't miss future episodes by subscribing wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you like the pod, rate and review us. It's the best way to make sure other people find the show. Besides, you know, sending them the show. We'd love that too. And of course, we need to hear what you think. It's the only way we're going to get better. Email us at podcast at jewishunpacked.com. Besides this show, we have a few other podcasts, as I mentioned before. Subscribe to those right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our other stuff at jewishunpacked.com and follow Unpacked on all of the social media places. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. The team for this episode includes Sarah Himmelis, John Kunza, Avi Posen, and Rob Perra. Noam Weissman is the executive producer of This Week Unpacked. This episode was sponsored by the amazing Jewish Federation of Los Angeles. Thank you for listening and see you next week.